uh, as, we, as we gather uh, this morning, we're continuing uh, with our, our, our series, Understanding Church, and we just started that last week, and what we're trying to do uh, is we're trying to understand uh, what the church is, what it's about, what its responsibilities are. Some of you have been in church your whole life. Uh, your parents brought you when you were young, and uh, I'm looking at Nora right here, kicking her feet, <laughs> right? At some point in time, she'll be able to be here saying, you know what, I was in church my whole life, okay? Many of you um, were drugged to church at some point in time. Uh, many of you, if you're like Jim and Beth, uh, they just expressed, it's as an adult, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start coming because I need some life change. We're kind of all over the spectrum there and how we do it with church, but one of the things that I've realized as, as we've been working in this sermon and praying through things and, and, and getting prepared, and you've got to remember, I've been a pastor for about four years. In fact, next Sunday, that's a lie, two Sundays from now will be my four-year anniversary. And so um, this is relatively new to me still, and so I'm still figuring things out. And one of the things that I've figured out in, in this short time is this truth, that the longer we've been in church, give me some grace here, okay? Because this might sting. The longer we've been in church, the further removed from the mission of the church we sometimes get to be. And, and, and that's not to, meant to be a shot. It's not meant to be anything other than a warning. And I'm not saying that's true of any in particular person here. I'm just saying that's, that's true in our culture, that the longer we've been a part of a church, the longer we've been in church, then the further removed from the mission we start to be because we get this feeling, this taste, this idea, and it's our culture. It's our me first, gimme, gimme, gimme culture. So, I mean, I know where it comes from, but it's, that, it's this idea that the church is about us. And that is a wrong understanding of church. It's, it's a painfully wrong understanding of church. And the reason it's wrong is because what happens is uh, we get this idea that you actually are the church. And so when you show up at church or when you go to ministries or you're part of activities or you start strategically planning or you do these things and you start thinking that the church is about me, what happens is you're, you're all of a sudden you've started being what we would call in the counseling world self-centered because you are the church. And because you are the church, when we make the church about us, we are deciding and we're showing the world, we're putting out there that everything is about me. Mark has this great t-shirt that he wears every once in a while that I really like, and it says, it's all about me. And I just appreciate it because, man, he's just putting it out there. <laughs> he's like, we all know this is true, so I'm just going to express it for you. But, but that's, that's what happens. And again, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean to rail on people that have been in the church a long time, because I know, and many of you here, and I know lots of, of great saints that have been in the church from the beginning that, that they get it and they understand that I am the church. And so the church isn't about me. The church is about the mission. But, but that's what we're going to deal with today. And, and I'm going to show you, I think, hopefully in scripture where we can see that this is true, that the church is not about us. And so um, what I want you to do is I want you to stay with me 
even if already you're a little annoyed with me, uh, and you're like, no, 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 time out. That's not okay. Uh, stay with me. Let's delve into Scripture together. Let's see what it has to say. Let's unpack it. Let's drill down in it. Let's, let's find the nuggets that are there, and let's see what we can learn, and then let's have a dialogue afterwards. If you're thinking, you know, Hans, you're just wrong, okay? I've been wrong a lot. But let's have the conversation, and let's see if we can see things together. So today we're, we're talking about mission, and I want you to know about the mission of the church, that the mission of the church um, is not debatable. Uh, we're going to spend this whole time today talking about the mission of the church, but spoiler alert, we already know what the mission of the church is. Um, hey guys, can you upload the other PowerPoint real quick? I'll just keep talking, but if you want to get the other one up there, that's cool. Um, but I've got it in my notes, so you'll have to just trust me what it says next. Uh, what it says next is that the mission of the church um, is all about making disciples. Making disciples, track me now, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, and if we do it well, that repeats. The mission of the church is to make more Christians, not nominal Christians, not Christians in name, but the mission of the church is to make Christians who go out and by participating in the mission of the church, because when they become Christians, they become the church, they own the mission. I got the thumbs up, we're good to go. Bam, nailed it. Um, thank you guys. Man, that's some fancy footwork up there. You guys are quick. Uh, the mission of the church is to make disciples. Who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Because once you become a Christian, what you're saying is, I am now signing on to the church. I am part of the church. Therefore, the mission of the church becomes my mission, which means it's all fine and good if you think, well, okay, it's Matt's job to make disciples. And some of you inadvertently um, assume that I'm somehow an expert in making disciples. You've some of you know better. Um, some of you look at me and you're like, man, if we leave it to that guy to make disciples, the church is in trouble. But some of you are like, well, he's the pastor. We pay him. So he makes disciples, and we show up, and we get encouraged, and, and it, it, we, you know, we, we learn how to grow a little bit. Maybe we, we confess some sin, and we do some things, and then um, the church grows because Matt makes disciples, and more people come to Christ because Matt makes disciples. But that is a, it's a wrong view of the mission of the church, which we're going to see as Paul unpacks for us in, in 1 Corinthians. The mission of the church is for you to make disciples and to train them up and teach them so well that the disciple that you made then is compelled to go out and make their own disciples. And those disciples, because they've been trained in the ministry of the church, are so well-rounded and ready to go that they go and they make disciples. And you see how this is supposed to work, and it's exponential. It's different than just, well, we'll bring people to church on a Sunday and Matt will get them, and then we'll bring more people to church and Matt will get them. No, 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 it's, it's, it's more than that, Okay. The mission of the church is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we really need to wrap our heads around this. And so there's one other thing then, uh, and again, I just, I, I'm going to put it on the screen, not because I want to rub it in, not because I want to uh, kick anybody, not because I want to make this uh, a bigger deal than it needs to be. And some of you may already get this, but this is a, a presupposition that I need us to grab as we dig into this here. It's just simply this. The church is for you. 
Absolutely. The church is for you. The church has things for you. The church will engage you. The church will help you. But the church is not about you. Because we're not about ourselves. Okay? And so let's, let's get that locked in as, as we go. And we're going to break into uh, 1 Corinthians here. We're going to look at uh, chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Uh, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Um, and he is writing uh, about the mission of the church. Okay? And here's what he says. He starts off this whole context with saying, Hey, though I am free and belong to no one... I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Just this simple statement that Paul makes to start this whole thing off that says, okay, so, by the way, know this, I am free. There's a context there where Paul says, I understand that I used to not be free. That means Paul's saying he used to not be a Christian. Okay, we read in in, uh, John 8, right, that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, okay, Before the son set him free, Paul was a slave to sin. He was a slave to religion. He was a slave to checklists. He was a slave to law. He was a slave to pain. He was a slave to guilt. He was a slave to shame. He was a slave to sin. Before meeting Jesus, now I say this and, and I know I risk being overly dramatic. But when you read scripture, there's no way to read it otherwise. Okay, so, so before Jesus, Paul was on his way to hell. You're like, but Paul's a good guy. Yeah, Paul's a good guy. Paul was a religious guy. Paul was a religious fanatic. But before Jesus, Paul was on his way to hell. But he says, but now I'm free. Because I met Jesus, I, I surrendered to Jesus, and he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so Paul says, I am free indeed. And he says, I'm free, and I belong to no one. But because of the mission of the church, I've made myself a slave to everyone. So Paul, right away, is we're going to get into the, and, and then he's going to show us in the next four verses exactly what that means. But here's the thing that we need to know ahead of time. What Paul's saying is, I am free to make my own decisions. I am free to worship the way I want to worship. I am free to do what I want to do. But when I become a Christian, I entered into a mission that the church owns. And because I'm part of the mission that the church owns, I actually now am a slave to everyone. And so what Paul's really saying here is, I... Because of the mission of the church, put myself always in third place in any interaction. I put myself in third place in any interaction. Okay, the order goes this. It's pretty clear. It's obvious from the context. Jesus is first. He is the one who set us free. Jesus is first. But Paul goes a step further. Not only am I living a life that says Jesus is first, he says, I'm going to take it a step further in the ministry of the church, through the ministry of the church, because I understand that I am the church and I am on mission. Here's what happens. Not only is Jesus first, everybody else is second. Paul then becomes a distant third. Jesus, everybody else And then Paul, in his rights 
and his needs and his freedom and his wants and his desires and the things he likes more than the things he doesn't like, his preferences, everything else becomes a distant third. Right off the bat, Paul's telling us, look, in the mission of the church, I am the most mature guy ever. If I, if I had like six people lined up that were all Christians and they were saying to me, Matt, this is what I think church should be like. And all six had a different version of what church should be like. Man, I'd want to go with Paul's version of what church should be like, right? Because Paul, I mean, Paul's a big deal. Paul wrote more epistles in the New Testament than anybody else. Paul is the missionary. Paul is the guy through the power of the Holy Spirit that spread the church. And so I would want to do it the way Paul does it. But Paul says, it's not about me. I get that. I'm not even in second place. It's Jesus. It's everybody else. And then I am a distant third when we start to figure this out. We'll see how he unpacks it right here. He starts in verse 20 and he says, uh, to the Jews, here's what I do. I become like a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, by the way, the Jews and those under the law, he's talking about the same group of people here. He's just repeating himself, clarifying. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Paul is nothing if not redundant. He really wants you to understand what he's talking about here. What he's talking about in the context is that Jews followed a strict religious code. Read through the Old Testament. Read through the book of Leviticus, book of Deuteronomy, and we start to read the giving of the law, the ceremony. How do you be clean and unclean? What sacrifices you make? Circumcision. All of these things that make you Jewish, okay? Dietary restrictions, okay? Ceremony. Following the law to the letter. Paul says, I am free. I am a slave to no law. But when I'm with the Jews, I act like a Jew. Carrie and I, give you a little context here. When we were looking for churches, there was a church that we really liked in Washington State, in a place called Royal City. It was a church plan. It was about a year, maybe a year and a half old. They were ready to hire a full-time pastor. There were about 80, 90 people in the church. Um, problem is that Royal City was a town of about 2,000. Is that right? About 2,000, about 60% of which were um, migrant workers because um, on the wrong side of the mountains there, there were orchards everywhere, peach, apple, mostly cherries and blueberries though, all of these orchards. And so most of the people that made up the, the city and the surrounding areas were migrant workers. The church was 80 strong, 79 Caucasian. And one of our big questions for them, uh, along with other questions, uh, because we were new to this whole thing, but one of our big questions for them is how did they see their ministry to the Hispanic population? And their answer was, we don't. Now, honestly, that's not what caused us to run away from that. God was just so gracious. He gave us just such an uneasy feeling. But the more I've reflected on that, good people, good mission, they, they understood the gospel. They, I mean, they, they wanted to grow and do things. 
But they didn't understand this principle that Paul was talking about. Paul says, when I'm with the Jews, guess what I act like? I act like a Jew. I follow the law. You know what I bet Paul loved bacon? Who loves bacon? Is there anybody here, this is a better way to ask the question, is there anybody here that doesn't like bacon? I'm going to pray for you guys. Because you don't know what you're missing. I bet you Paul loved bacon. But when Paul sat down to have breakfast in the Jewish culture so he could share the gospel with people that were Jewish, guess what Paul did not order for breakfast? Paul didn't order bacon. I'm sure he wanted to because it's bacon. I'm sure he wanted to, but he didn't. Why? Because he was more concerned with, now now get this, this is the key to all of this. This is the key to understanding and engaging in the mission of the church. He was more concerned with the cross than he was with his right to eat bacon. He was more concerned with the cross than he was with his right to not be Jewish anymore. Because if Paul had gone in with all the intentions in the world of sharing the gospel with people that need to know who Jesus Christ is because they are going to hell unless they understand and repent and follow Jesus, and he is going in to sit down and to share Jesus Christ with them, but he orders a big slab of bacon, that all of the sudden people are tripping over, I, I mean, I, I know it's weird imagery, but, but they're tripping over the bacon on the way to the cross. They're stumbling on bacon. Because all of a sudden now, this thing has become a barrier. See, the church has this weird job, and it is a weird job, and I know it. The church has to get good at speaking the language of the culture that we live in. We have to speak the language well so that we can tell them what they need to know. Because if I'm speaking it in a different language... They're never going to hear it. That, that was the problem as we reflect on that church in Washington is they wanted to share the gospel. They wanted people to come to know Jesus, but they didn't want to engage the Hispanic culture at all in the language that they spoke, literally or figuratively. I mean, you think about that. If you're living in a town that is 60% Hispanic, why are you hiring the whitest guy you've ever met? To come and minister. Doesn't make sense. Not when I look at it, the mission, the way that Paul looks at the mission. He says, to the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Here's the thing. This gets even more painful and mind-bending when we realize this. Paul hated a group of people called the Judaizers. He called them mutilators of flesh. He called them dogs. Not a pleasant term. And the reason he hated them is because they were preaching the gospel and. They were preaching in Philippians. We read this in Philippians 2. They were, he was preaching. They were preaching that in order to become Christian, you had to first become Jews. And, and to the men, that meant you had to, as adult Gentile men, you had to be circumcised so that you would become Jewish 
because that was the outward symbol of Judaism, so you would get circumcised to become Jewish so that you could have a relationship with Jesus. And Paul cut them to shreds that that was ridiculous. There was no place for that. They were mutilators of the flesh. It was awful. It was bad. And then he warned people, you don't go do that thinking it's going to make you right because it's going to damn you to hell. I mean, this was a big deal for Paul. But then get this. In Acts, Paul wants to take Timothy, a Gentile, he wants to take Timothy with him on his mission. And we read in Acts 16, verses 2 and 3, the believers at Lystra and Iconium, they spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So what did he do? He circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So because they all knew that Timothy was from Gentile lineage, and he wanted to take Timothy along with him as a missionary on the mission, even though he says, you do not have to be Jewish to be Christian, he says to Timothy, you got you, you to get circumcised. Can you imagine Timothy's confusion a little bit? I mean, he's been with Paul as Paul said, no, you don't have to do that. But now he's saying, hey, look, you probably should. And it's not like you probably should give up bacon. It's, there's this thing called circumcision. And I can imagine Paul explaining it to Timothy. Here's what it is. You don't technically have to, but you have to. Why? Because when you're with the Jews, Paul says, you act like a Jew. Why? Because you don't want the fact that you're not Jewish to be a stumbling block to the cross. He keeps going, right? In 1 Corinthians 9.21, he says it's not just that. In fact, actually, that would have been easy for Paul. Paul grew up as a Pharisee. Paul probably felt most comfortable acting like a Jew. So for him, that was simple. But here's where we get to. He says, to those not having the law, meaning Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, to those not having the law, I act like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. That's just a caveat saying he doesn't act like a heathen. He doesn't act like somebody who has no moral value. He says, I follow Jesus, right? He said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not participating in immoral things here. He says, but I'm not following Jewish restrictions. Why? Because in this context... I want to win those who don't have the law. And so we get this idea that, that Paul says, I can vacillate between everything. Now, Paul, like I said, he's a guy that wants to follow the law. Probably that's what's most comfortable to him. But when he's with Gentiles, he doesn't follow dietary restrictions. Why? Because all of a sudden, his dietary restrictions would become the issue. I mean, you get that, right? Because if I sit down at the dinner table and somebody brings me a big slab of ham and I say, you know what, I'm here because I want to teach you about Jesus, but I can't eat that, well, what happens now? Now all of a sudden what happens is we're talking about what I can and can't eat. What aren't we talking about? We aren't talking about the cross of Christ. So Paul says, man, I compete for the truth in the market that I'm in. I'm in a Jewish community, then guess what? I compete for the truth by honoring those traditions and those laws. I'm in a Gentile community, then I compete for the truth by setting aside those things. And some of you right now, that makes you uncomfortable because what you're thinking, what you've been taught 
secular logic is this. The way to be good, the way to feel right, the way to have your best, most productive life is to be, what's the word we would use? Authentic. Secular logic tells you that you need to be esteemed, that your attitudes, your opinions, your needs need to be met, that you need to be true to what you need. We tell people this all the time. The counselor in me was trained to tell people this, is they'd sit down in my office and they'd tell me about the disconnect, and I'd say, you know what? You just need to be true to who you are. You need, you need to worry about what you need. You need other people to honor you for you. You need to be esteemed and valued and honored. That's secular logic. I still cringe at some of the things that I was trained to tell people, that as an immature Christian, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. I'll answer for those at some point. I can only repent so much. But that's, that's secular logic. Paul, you grew up as a Jew. You feel comfortable following Jewish tradition. Then you know what? People should accept you for who you are. They should esteem you for who you are. You should just do what feels natural. And if they don't like it, they'll go away. But that's secular logic. Eternal logic. We just finished with the series on heaven. Eternal logic. Logic that lasts forever. It says, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up my rights. I'm going to be in third place. Jesus, everybody else, then myself. And I'm going to pour myself out for the sake of the gospel. That's eternal logic. Now let's translate that to how we do church today. Are there things that we do that might possibly get in the way of us sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are there practices, traditions, things in the church that might get in the way, that might then become what people focus on instead of focusing on the cross of Christ and their need for Jesus. And I'm not talking about compromise. All kinds of churches have compromised. I'm not talking about compromise at all. I'm talking about speaking the language of the culture. See, we've talked about this before. It's like uh, a precious liquid and then a container. It's a Leonard Sweet thing. If you've ever read the book Aqua Church, it's in there, and, and you'll, you'll uh, maybe have a better grasp on what I'm talking about. But it's like a precious liquid and the container. The precious liquid does not, cannot, will never change. It's the biblical truth. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the spoken word that we have in front of us, inspired truth. See, there's too many churches that will start to to water down that truth or to make it palatable because they want to fit the culture they live in. So things that the Bible has clearly said for, for 2,000 years are wrong, we'll start to say, yeah, but you know what? For 1,800 years, it's been misinterpreted, and I have a secret interpretation that I know that you didn't know that makes all of this okay. That's not what I'm talking about. 
In fact, when you entered into a covenant commitment, if you're a covenant member here, um, we made a promise to you as part of our end of the commitment that we would never water down biblical truth and we would never change the gospel. And the Bible will always say what the Bible says and we will interpret it literally and rightly. Okay, so I'm not talking about watering down the truth. That's the precious liquid. What the Bible says, the gospel, Jesus, all of that is precious and it cannot and should not change. I don't care what culture, what time, what place we live. But the container that holds it has to change. It has to change to fit the place that you are because if, if the container that holds it is something that the culture doesn't recognize and doesn't want anything to do with, then how am I completing the mission of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples? But if I take that precious liquid, that that can never change, and I put it in a container that the culture resonates with, and then I give it to them, then it, all of a sudden it makes sense to them and they'll interact with it. And I'm speaking their language and we have a conversation and perhaps some are one to the gospel. That's what Paul says this is all about. I do all of this so that I can share the gospel with people. It's the whole point. Go back to my example in Washington and that's easy to see. They should have hired a Hispanic pastor. They should have had bilingual services. They should have sung music that was uncomfortable to them but that spoke to the Hispanic population. They should have probably been more traditional. See, part of the reason that they were launching a church is because they wanted to be non-traditional, which, hey man, listen, I'm as non-traditional as it gets, but you know who's traditional? Hispanics that are trying to figure out faith because their culture is traditional. So they should have been more traditional and intentional in engaging tradition with the gospel. We can figure that out. We can say, Matt, I know exactly what you're talking about there. That's why that was problematic. But can we translate that into our own context? How well do our churches in Vinton speak the language of the community? It's something that we as elders are always wrestling with. And I know it's uncomfortable because as I'm talking, some of you are thinking, well, Matt, that means we have to change things. Yeah, I know. And that's hard. And when we change, there's, there's loss and there's grief, and I get it, and I don't ever want to discount that. I honor that. But, but the mission, Paul says, look, man, when I'm with the Jews, what do I do? I act like a Jew. I follow the law. Sometimes it's awkward and uncomfortable, but I do it anyway. Why? Because I want to win some to Jesus. When I'm with those that aren't Jews, that's what he says, when I'm with those that aren't Jews, guess what? I act like those that don't have to be Jewish. Why? Because I want to win some. And he keeps going. This is the last chunk in this. He says, and to the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. When Paul says weak there, he's obviously not talking about physical. This one is really going to irritate us. What Paul's talking about there, uh, when he's with the Jews and, he's with, and he acts like a Jew and he's with the Gentiles and he acts like a Gentile, what he's talking about there is, I'm trying to reach people that aren't Christians. I'm trying to get people that aren't Christians to engage with the gospel. Here he says, not only that, but I actually try to engage with people that are Christians, they're just not good at it yet. That's the weak. I engage with those that are weak. When I'm with those that are weak, that is Christians who aren't spiritually mature, I act in a way that doesn't challenge their immaturity. Now, I want to be careful with that 
okay? And I'm going to give you context for that. It doesn't mean that he just lets them go on sinning, okay? But he, but he, he will challenge their sin, but, and he will challenge their immaturity. But, but what's happening here is he's not talking necessarily about sin. He's talking about preference. He's talking about their understanding. This is all in connection. You can read back on your own in 1 Corinthians 8, the chapter right before this. He talks about food sacrifice to idols. And, and here's what he says in that context. He says, look, you and I both know that food sacrifice to idols is nothing. You want to go to the market, you want to buy cheap meat, because it's meat that was used in the sacrifice, go for it. Buy it, take it home, fry it up, make yourself a burger. Okay, enjoy the bacon. Do whatever. Why? Because idols are nothing. And so a food sacrifice to idols shouldn't scare you because idols aren't anything. Now, he's not saying, hey, go participate in those sacrifices and then eat. But what he's saying is, you know what? Listen, enjoy it doesn't matter. But here's what he says. He says, if you got a brother or sister that comes to your house and they know that food was sacrificed to an idol and they think it's wrong, he says, don't demand your freedom to eat it in front of them. Why? Because it'll ruin them. Because you'll be doing something and you'll be encouraging them to do something that they think is wrong. We can translate that. Let's think about alcohol. Some of you in the church understand that you are free to have a drink. You are never free to get drunk. You aren't even free to get tipsy, really. <laughs> That's become a respectable sin of ours. I'll just have a third glass of wine and it'll be okay. It's just one bottle. I'm not going anywhere anyway. You're never free to get drunk, but you're free to have a drink. Okay, you have that freedom. But... If I have a new Christian coming over to dinner, or I have somebody that's been a Christian for a long time, but doesn't, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not offering them, I'm not having one in front of them, I'm not offering them one, because Paul says, my freedom to have a drink is not more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ and their growth and their development, their maturity. So Paul says, man, when I'm with people that are weaker, it's okay, and I, I, if you're one of those folks who thinks alcohol is wrong, I'm not calling you weak. I understand how that might come across here. Um, so I'm not trying to suggest, oh, there's something wrong. With it. I'm saying is we all have these different thoughts. Where, where the Bible is, is not as clear as we'd like it to be, you know, we say, well, you know, Paul talks about not being a stumbling block, not doing this, putting no strong drink. Um, Jesus actually took water and turned it into wine. And so we've got different things and we're trying to figure out how this works. What I'm saying is your freedom to not drink, okay, your, your decision, I'm not going to drink, don't put that on weaker Christians either. It, don't, don't start making it about something that it's not. The Bible has enough moral code that we must follow. Don't start injecting other things in there. And this is what we do, though, when we make the church about us I understand it's for us, but it's not about us. And we start making it about us, we start kind of putting it out, this is what it has to look like for everybody else. And it doesn't speak the language of the culture, and then the culture wants nothing to do with it. And we say, well, the culture is just walking away from the church. And yes, the culture is walking away from the church, but man, we are making no strong effort to pull them back. Because the church still looks like it did, or it still looks wrong in a certain area. I go back to Washington, it's easy. The church looks like it does for 80 to 90 White folks, well-to-do white folks, 
and, and the poor, oppressed migrant workers that need to know the gospel, well, we, we don't look like a container they would want to pick up. It's problematic. And so we, we start thinking in terms of why do we do things the way we do them? And, and perhaps we should, we should start to recognize that because of the mission of the church, we do things in certain ways. We do, I mean, we've got faith in action coming up. It's not an accident. We do faith in action as our mission outside the church to engage people in the community because we live in a community where service is honored, the gospel is not. So what we do is we use service from a gospel perspective to engage people with the truth of the cross. Why do we do midweek? Why do we do children's programs the way we do? Why? Because even people that aren't sure, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys really understand this as well, but even people that aren't sure about the mission and the vision and the values and the message and the gospel of the church, they like it when their kids are engaged and happy. So CSI, midweek, children's programming, all of those things are intentional by design to engage people in the language they speak so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? So that we can hopefully save some. It's the mission of the church. This is, it is not about us. See, the mission of the church, we, we, we get in here, uh, the mission of the church is given by Jesus. Here's what he says in Matthew 28. He says, therefore, since all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, this is what I want you to do. This is the great commission. This is the mission of the church. This is the command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There is nothing about that. Now listen, you, you could have all kinds of issues with what I've been saying up here about the church being for you but not about you and the church needing to engage and speak the language of the culture and, and because some of you are reading between the lines and you means well that means the music has to be different i use this example all the time but if the population of vinton shifts dramatically and all of a sudden uh, we become a very urban center we're not but if we became one guess what our music would need to shift to reflect the, the urban population that we would have around us. If we were in Cedar Rapids, we would be singing songs that were different on a Sunday morning. Why? Because different songs would engage that community. If we were in, if I was in a retirement village in Florida, I would be wearing a suit and tie. Why? Because my freedom to not wear a suit and tie is not at all more important than the cross. Listen, I'm glad that we're not in a retirement village in Florida. One, it's hot and sticky they have hurricanes and frogs and other things I don't like. But if I was there, if that's where God called us, and I was in a retirement village preaching the gospel to folks that have retired that were from that generation that esteemed that, then guess what? Just like Paul following dietary restrictions, that's how I would dress. Because intentionality is important. We compete for the truth. And the cross of Christ, the gospel, is the only stumbling block. I, I think I've told you this before, but mentor of mine, uh, Pastor Jerry Schrick over at Bethany, um, you know, when he was candidating at the church there, and I was an elder, and I, I listened to him, and we interviewed him, and here's one of the things he said, and this was, I don't even, I couldn't tell you what else he said in the interview, because this is the point where he said, that's the guy we got to hire. Because Jerry said, 
very clearly that the only stumbling block to someone's salvation is Jesus Christ. When you are trying to figure out what it means to be saved, the only person you should be tripping over is Jesus Christ. That's the guy you got to deal with. That's the guy you got to get right with. That's the guy you got to submit to. His context was you never should have to trip over Jerry Schrick on the way to salvation. At that point, it's like, I, I'm in. I don't know what that means for the future of the church, and the church looks significantly different when we brought him in. But I knew that it was necessary because I understood what he was saying. That our old traditional style of doing things in the Baptist church didn't work to engage the community that we're trying to engage. We were so focused on things you couldn't do that that became the issue. People tripped over everything we said no to, and they never got to the cross. And they, things we were said, they weren't biblical. Like, oh, you shouldn't watch movies. Dancing in the church, that's silly, don't do that. No, you can't have a drink of wine. You know, the things that we said no to, they're not in Scripture, they're not in the Bible, and we're saying no to them, and people are tripping over those things, and they're never getting to the cross, and it became problematic. And when Jerry said, look, you're never going to trip over me on the way to the cross, it made perfect sense. And that's, Jesus is saying here, look, the mission is about going Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them, grow them up, send them out. This is a mission that will make you feel uncomfortable. This is a mission that will make you vulnerable. This is a mission that will test you in your humility to says, it's not about me. This is a mission that will make a difference. This is how Blessed Hope plays that out. We exist to praise Christ. Everything we do is about Jesus. How? We want to draw people to him. So you know what that means? That means we leverage our ministry to draw people to the gospel. We leverage our sermon series. We leverage our children's programming. We leverage the things that Jim shared, our invitations. We leverage what we do. We leverage Facebook. We leverage everything we can do to share with the community what we're about and the cross of Christ so that we can draw people to him. And when they come here, listen, Church is for you, but it is not about you. It may look sometimes a little different. Why? Because we're leveraging to draw people to the gospel because the mission of Christ is worth it. Saving lives is worth it. Making disciples who make disciples who make disciples is worth it. We draw. We teach them up. We train them up. Sunday school. Small groups discipleship, all of these things that we beg you to get plugged into. We beg you to get plugged into them because it's the, it's the mission of the church. It's what Jesus says. Hey, teach them. Teach them everything I've said. We're here to teach you everything, discipling you, growing you up. Why? Because the mission is worth it. And coming to Christ is just the beginning. And then he says, go, go to make disciples. So the last part of that for us is sending. Sending them out as his ambassadors. Sending them out as people that understand it's not about them. Sending them out as, as people that can engage where they are. And this is, this is where I want to challenge us this morning. Um, it's what I want us to wrestle with is, is we, we get to a point where we're going to draw to a close is simply this. How are you competing for truth in the culture that we live in? Who are you engaging with the gospel? You know, you're here, that's great. You're learning, you're growing up, you're maybe plugged in in small group, you're doing those things. So, so we're teaching you to become more Christ-like, we're learning to become more Christ-like in the process, but this, this sending them out as his ambassadors, where are you plugged in there? 
How are you engaging people? And that's why, you know what, I know that's a tall order to say, well, we're going to engage people in the community, and, and it gets tricky. Okay, so here's what I'll say. Um, I want you to start here. Jim shared those, um, those no-strings-attached cards, and, and I want you to share those with people. Hey, I love you. God loves you. No strings attached. I want to invite you to come to church with us. You know what? Take it a step further. You know, use them with people that you know that you've been looking to have an invitation for. Also, though, you know what? I'm in line at the drive-thru. You know, I'm standing at Casey's. You got co- I'm going to buy your coffee, and I'm going to say, you know what? God loves you so much. You know what? If we had time, I'd sit down and share it with you. But here, come to church, and let's, let's have lunch after church next Sunday. Here, here's an invitation. I, mean, I don't know if you buy coffee at the gas station, but if you do, something. But share God's love. No strings attached. Use those cards. Uh, the elders are going to be passing them out. We also have these that I've given you before. Uh, it's, it's a card that says invest, um, pray, and invite. Okay? And it's got three spots on it. It's just a daily reminder. You stick it in your wallet and, and you put it somewhere where you'll remember. You put it in your Bible, whatever it is, and it's a reminder that I'm going to be praying for these three people. And I'm going to be working hard to invest in their lives. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to be intentional. Maybe I'm going to make phone calls. I'm going to do whatever. And you know what? Um, I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to invite them into spiritual conversations. The elders will have those to pass out to you too as you go. And and then the last thing is this. This is what I want you to begin to see. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Ask the ushers to come forward uh, and prepare uh, to collect our offering for this morning. But, But here's the last thing I'll tell you. I want you to see the church differently. I want, and, and I want you to see the church differently. I want you to try to embrace the idea that we do church as a way to leverage culture to share the gospel with people that are going to hell. Listen to me. We talk about this all the time. Hell is real. Hell is awful. And our community is filled with people that are headed there, people that you and I love, people that you and I care for, people that you and I want to spend eternity with. It's, if we're on mission, that's unacceptable to us. I'm willing, Paul was willing, I'm willing, I want you to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable for the sake of sharing the gospel. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, we're going to collect our offering, uh, we're we're going to sing some songs, and the elders will have those for you as we go. If you're visiting with us today, I want to remind you, um, that that tear-off card, uh, if you want to throw that in the offering plate as your participation in offering this morning, um, you're under no obligation uh, to participate financially. This is something that those of us that call Blessed Hope Home that we do to fund the ministries of the church. And the ministries of the church are all about being uncomfortable and sharing the gospel. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we ask you this morning to help us engage culture, to meet them where they're at, not with compromise, but with conviction, that you would help us not be focused on the container, but that you would help us focus on the precious liquid that it holds, the gospel message, the biblical truth, the idea that you search for us and you love us and you find us and you bring us into a loving relationship with you, that we can have forgiveness of sin and salvation and freedom from shame, that all of those things are possible through the cross. Father, help us never to trip somebody up when they're on their way to the cross. 
Help us always to make you the most important thing, to honor people as your creation as the second, and to put ourselves a distant third. Help us to walk in humility and selflessness. Help us to understand that the mission of the church is not about us. And Father, we, we pray for this offering that we're about to collect this morning. We pray that you'll take it, that you'll multiply it, and that you'll use it um, in significant ways, that, you will, um, that, that you'll bring your kingdom here in this place in a real tangible way, that you'll help us to share uh, the gospel with people that need to know it, that you'll, you'll use this offering to fund ministries of the church that are about engaging culture and fighting for truth. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all things. Amen.